0: This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and your tushies do too. Huggies Little Movers is their best-fitting diaper ever with its curved and stretchy fit. Babies, no matter what kind of butt you've got, you'll feel comfy while your mushy little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Huggies Little Movers are curved with up to 12-hour protection against leaks. Get your baby butt in Huggies Best Fitting Diaper, Huggies Little Movers.
1: We got you, baby.
2: When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. You're
0: listening to Castrol CarCast on Podcast One. All right. Well, you'd think this would be the best of CarCast, but it's not technically, although it's certainly car oriented. I did a long form, really interesting interview with Mr. Jay Leno, and I think you guys would enjoy that in our absence. So. We'll uh, get to a very revealing interview with Jay Leno. First, let me tell you about Tommy John, the secret to staying sweat-free this summer. Tommy John, summer-ready, ultra-breathable underwear and bras as well. I am a huge fan of Tommy John. It's really all I wear. Um, Why? Because once you get into the Tommy John stuff, you get kind of spoiled for the other brands. Lounge pants, lazy day joggers, soft zoom ready tees and polos. Upgrade to Tommy John today. Enhance the super breathable designs. These things are the best. You will not go back to what you're currently wearing. I give a little uh, shot of uh, talcum powder down the shorts and then I leave the house and work up a sweat. And then it just dries as soon as you get back into the air conditioning. Best pair you'll ever wear or it's free. Guarantee. Tommy John, right,
2: man? For a limited time, go to TommyJohn.com slash CarCast to get 20% off your first order. That's TommyJohn.com slash CarCast for 20% off TommyJohn.com slash CarCast.
0: All right, Jay Leno has uh, joined me because uh, I asked Jay Leno to join me, and he was nice enough to join me.
1: And you were nice enough to do my show, and you, were, you won the race, so you did good.
0: <laughs> I love uh, Jay Leno's Garage, and I'll give you all the official particulars on that show uh, in a moment. Or Jay can. Give us all uh, times and dates for Jay Leno's well, Garage. Well, it's
1: CNBC, 10 o'clock and 7 o'clock uh, California time. And, uh, yeah, uh, and just TiVo
0: it like, like I do. I watch every week. Yeah, um, there you go. Uh, I, you know, so I had this thought about you specifically, mm-hmm. which is I've been thinking a lot about fear and people's relationship with fear, yeah. and and it's and it's it's great these days. A lot of people are having a big sort of fear orgy, and I thought. I don't really. I'm not fear based. I know that sounded uh, bizarre, but I'm not. I'm not a fear based person. And I thought Jay Leno is not fear based, and no. I, I watch what you do, and I see what you do, and but I don't know how you got that way, or if you were always that way.
1: No, I think I was always that way. I'm not a panicky person. You know, uh, whenever I know I'm going to crash, I just. Go limp and relax and let it happen. I don't tense up, you know. I remember when I was at Talladega, we were doing 100 laps at 190 miles an hour trying to break this record with the uh, Carrera GT, the Porsche. Porsche, yeah. And, you know, up to about lap 100, I'm coming down the straight and the guy gives me the thumbs up. I went, oh, great. And I just lifted my foot off the throttle and the rear end came around, just spun eight times. But I always remember that old adage, you always hit what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at the wall, you'll hit the wall. So as soon as I saw the wall, I cut the wheel. Then I saw the wall again. I, I I just kept cutting the wheel, cutting the wheel, and I I spun down the center <laughs> of the track, and it was okay. And I realized, oh, all right. So that was about as scary as it gets, and it wasn't that bad. So
0: well, I was watching. I was I famously when you had the Hemi under glass roll over. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 and. You know, the thing rolled violently, and then soon as it came to a stop, Jay just turned to the driver and went, uh, you okay? And I thought, oh, Jay...
1: Well, so the, the funniest thing, thing was, all. the medic runs over and says to the driver, what's your name? How old are you? He goes, I'm Bob Riggle, 81 years old. And he taps me, he goes, what's your name? How old are you? And I said, I'm Bob Riggle, and I'm 81 <laughs> years old. One of these two men is the real Bob Riggle. You, have to, you know, and they got a big laugh,
0: and it was pretty funny. But... That wiring, and I, I think nobody wants to get injured or killed, but I still kind of wish that wiring upon my kids. You know that that calm sort of that I'm willing to go out and put myself in danger without being a, da- a
1: daredevil. Right. I know what you mean. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm I'm just, I'm not a panicky type person. I, I try to do like I'm not. I had to talk with some the other day that got mad and threw something and broke something I like well, why'd you throw it because I'm mad mm-hmm. well but, but what does it do I don't I don't understand why you would break something how does that now make it better it doesn't it's not logical you know right
0: but it's funny that the logic is in kind of short supply and the logical people are kind of few and far between do you think that your disposition is aided by the fact that you live in a mechanical world. I have this theory that everyone well, is drifting into it. So I think what's happening is is people don't have a relationship with danger because they sit in a cubicle all day and they kind of look at a computer screen and you climb under a Stanley well, steamer it's with a blowtorch. You know, interesting
1: you say that because uh, speed is the only new... Sensation of the twentieth century. If you put a baby in a room and turn out the light, the baby will cry. But you take the same baby, put him on the hood of a car, and go seventy miles an hour. <laughs> the, right. the, there's no fear because there's no inherent fear of speed. Because evolutionary wise, I think it's still uh, fairly new. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have years of being chased by dinosaurs or whatever it might be, that, right. or, or darkness is scary. So you don't you don't have that. So it, it becomes. Yeah, it's a learned, it's a learned experience.
0: Right. And I think that, and I don't want to speak for the guys at your shop, but I've found that my blue collar friends have a better relationship with fear. And then as it pertains to like pandemics and stuff, they sort of react differently than my Hollywood friends.
1: Oh, that's definitely true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's hilariously true. Right. Yeah, because your Hollywood friends are just idiots. Right. They just don't. They're thinking about, well, how's this going to affect my show next week? Or it's it's not. It's it's something they think it's something greater than themselves. You know. Uh. Yeah. No. I I would agree with that. That's why most of my friends are, quote, as you call them, mechanical friends, because there's a logic to it. Is to why something happens a certain way you know i mean i know people are afraid of guns because they could just go off right Well, they they don't if right. You understand how it works there's a certain amount of pressure here unless it's made in china out of some pot metal that's going to disintegrate it's not just going to go off you, you learn how to handle it and, and how to use it you know so yeah yeah that's funny you say or fire fire is another one you know i know people that well, here's a perfect example. I drove one of my steam cars into the gas station. And for those who don't know, you use gasoline to heat the water, and the water makes steam, and then you proceed like a train. And this lady goes, hey, your car's smoking. I said, oh, thank you. It's not smoke. It's steam. What do you mean? It's a steam car. It runs on steam. And she goes, yeah, right. I go, no, it does. She goes, well, why are you putting gas in it? I said, well, "We're putting gas in it because the gasoline heats the water like it would in a stove and makes it hot. And she goes... Why don't you just leave it in the sun? I said. Well, if the sun could boil water, I don't even think we'd be having this conversation. We right. we wouldn't be talking. And she looked at me like I was making all this up. It just made me laugh. It's just very funny. It's a sort of a detachment from
0: mechanics, science, there's a math that's falling by the wayside, and it's 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 kind of hurting us as a society. The way I well, wish that, people were more tangible.
1: We well, yeah, go out in the uh, garage, and yeah, that's funny to me because oh, let me lose this. Here, 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 here. I'm on the phone. I'm doing a podcast. Call um that, that that makes me laugh because. You know, I always he these ads on the radio. Today people are concerned about value. Yeah, like my parents just threw money in the street. Uh-huh, they had right. no idea. But you realize someone who grew up in the twenties, you were better to, you were better able to cope with the world you live in because you could fix the tractor, you could fix the car, you could grow your own food, you could in a, a pinch, you know how to use manure for fuel, blah, blah blah blah. I mean whatever it might be. You could control right. your own destiny. Right Now people, the power goes out and people just, you know, they just panic. They don't know what to do. You know. Do you think your,
0: your your lack of fear for better, the lack of a better title for what you possess, I'm the same way. When the car goes out of control, uh, I have to be told sometimes not to let go of the steering wheel. Like, right. I just give it up. I, right. I, I did a race once where I worked with an instructor once, and he, say, he kept saying to me, he said, you got to hold on to the wheel with both hands. You can't have one hand out, you know, the window of the cigarette and hold on with the other hand. Like, but he did say to me, you're the most relaxed person I've ever seen drive a car. And I thought, well, the intensity just makes you a worse driver.
1: I, I, Actually, I Paul Newman was the most relaxed person I ever saw. Really? Paul Newman came to The Tonight Show, and we were filming over here, you know, where we used to do it, over in Burbank. And by that time, every show had left. So they're like 25 or 30 sound stages. So he literally had these corridors that were almost half a mile long.
0: Cavernous. Cavernous.
1: Yeah. So we decided to do a go-kart race. And if I was going to race Paul Newman. I think I told you this once before. It's and, in
0: the documentary. And, yeah,
1: and Paul gets in there, and he's, what, 81 or whatever it was. So calm. I'm working my ass off trying to keep up with him. And he just flamed. I mean, he literally just... I mean, he just... You know, and I'm I'm just cutting the wheel too much. I'm sliding too much. I'm hitting the wall. And I'm bouncing, and just the most relaxed, calm guy. And we did it like three times to see if I could get him. I never did get him. He was that good.
0: Well, I re- I drove with Jay the other week, and it's on uh, Jay Leno's Garage. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jay's yeah. a fast driver. Um, Jay went all out in that uh, Z car over at uh, Fontana, and you'd never been on that track before.
1: You no, know, well, that's the thing about this me. show. It's so low budget. You hear your first time on the track, first time in the car, go! I go the race! Well, I I don't get a practice lap. No, no, no. Just go, I go! You know, so.
0: So do you think being on stage and being a comedian, do you think the fear, the lack of fear, or the good relationship with fear has aided you in that endeavor as well?
1: Oh, I think so. I remember once I was on stage and a beer bottle went flying past my head. And smashed behind me, and I said, "Who did that? It's what coward! What coward threw that?" And this enormous guy stands up because I had a, a couple of drinks, and he looked at me. He goes, "Look, uh, I'm really sorry. I, 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 go, I don't have it again. You know." And <laughs> now I realize, I go, and he really was. I really felt bad, but. The guy was enormous. I went, "Oh my god! I'm, if this guy comes out, I'm dead." I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I was, you know, I, I, I behaved very badly. I apologize. All right, you're forgiven. Sit down. And anybody what, else? You know, wh- where where was that? That was in the Improv. Yeah, uh, out here. Yeah, yeah. Wow. What
0: uh, circa? What year would you say? Oh, eighties, uh, late eighties. Did uh, God? I mean, every you were with everyone, you saw everyone, those legendary stories of the comedy store back in the day, and and Letterman and Leno, and everybody, and
1: And Richie Pryor. There was nobody better. You know, it's funny, I say Richie Mm. Pryor because we called him Richie, and people go to me, Yeah, why do you call him Richie? It's Richard. He was Richie Pryor then. I mean, that's, that's what it was, and to me, that's how. You know, comics are inherently pretty lazy. You tend to go to where you know you do well. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to Mitzi, and Richard was in uh, – he was, he was rehearsing for uh, Live on Sunset Strip. It was going right. to be one of the first – this is before they videotaped comics or did right. any of that stuff. He was making a stand-up film. Right. And he was working it out every night at the comedy store. And I said to Mitzi, could I follow him every night? Just to see. And he would go up, blow, people were like, ha ah, 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 I mean, laughing so hard. Good night, good night. And he'd run off the stage, you know. And I would go, please welcome Jay Leno. And I realized at that point, I didn't have an hour's worth of material. I had about 16 minutes or 17 minutes. And I was taping it every night. And they just threw out everything that didn't get a laugh. Because, you know, it's nothing funny. You're talking to comics. Like, why are you still doing that uh, Nixon's not a crook bit? Well, I mean, it worked the other night. I know, but the last forty nights it didn't work. You just right. have to have a really old audience tonight who knew what you were talking about. You right. know, <laughs> there's that tendency to never want to give up anything, and that made me just clean house and throw a bunch of material out. So it was, so, it, was it was a good lesson. So going
0: after someone who may have been the best to ever do it, yeah, and, and but you sought that out, right? I mean, you yeah, wanted to yeah. go after oh, him, yeah,
1: and he was the best. I mean. It's really different. I mean, he was the first guy, not the first, but one of the first to use obscenities not in a way that would be gratuitous, you know. he It was a part of the vernacular, as was a part of the character. You really, when he did a character, he really became that character and talked like that character and was really, really funny, you know. He had the perfect, in the sense that Mike Tyson had the perfect background to be a fighter, Horrible childhood, parents have mistreated. You know the whole the, the anger. Richie had the same thing. Grew up in a whorehouse, and uh, was it Des Moines? I, I think it was.
0: I I know the hard Scrabble. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh,
1: it just just all all the elements, you know.
0: Uh, well, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about Tyson as we we're talking about the old days of the comedy store, and it's 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 interesting that a club has a sort of cycle to it, like the heavyweight division. You know, you think about the heavyweight division with Ali and Frazier. Right. Foreman and all that. And then you get to the sort of early 80s and it's a bunch of guys you never heard of and you don't really care anymore. And then at some point Tyson comes around and and in a weird way a comedy club can have that. It can have that Early days with you and Letterman and Richie Pryor and all the same, and Sam Kennison later and all this stuff. And then at some point, I don't know, it dries up a little. None of the, it, it has a little lull and then there's yeah, a, there's yeah, a re, reawakening and it has like, if you looked at it on a chart, it could look like the heavyweight division.
1: Yeah, it's funny. You don't really think of it that way when you're going through it. It just seems like another day. You know, uh, you know, you know, I always say the trick to life is to know you're in heaven before you get cast out of it. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the way I felt there. This was perfect. We didn't make a lot of money or anything, but you got an accolade from your peers, from the audience. There'd be little quips in the press and all that kind of stuff, and every now and then Carson or Steve Martin or somebody would drop by to see who the hot new comic was. You know, and it was a wonderful time. It really was. It was a, a fabulous time.
0: Did you – so you came out at what age,
1: I came out in 72. I was still in college, I was going back and forward. Um yeah, from uh, permanently from 73 on. Yeah. When did it hit you that you you come from a you know, pretty
0: regular environment? Very regular environment. And so stand-up comedy seems it's not Richard Pryor. Your 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 early years were different than
1: Richard Pryor's. Oh Pryor. yeah, <laughs> I can remember my mom talking to my aunt, and I. She must say, "What's Jay doing now?" And my mother, my mother's from Scotland. Well, Jay, he has a little skit that he puts on from town to town. He goes to a different town and does a skit. And I go, "No, Mom, I don't really do a skit." There. I mean, they never really understood what it is I did.
0: Were they around long enough to see the kind of? Oh yeah, all yeah. All of your success. Oh yeah, they
1: made it to the first couple of years of the Tonight <laughs> Show. Um. So. To me, that's the saddest thing, people who don't – you know, that happened to Paul Newman. Paul Newman was 24, and his dad said, get a goddamn job. He told me this story. Uh, you know, you're this, you're a bum, you're this acting thing, is stupid, you're just, you know, on and on. And his father died, and literally the next year, he was the biggest star in the world.
0: I do I feel this exact same way when oftentimes when I talk to athletes who you know played in the World Series or the, won the Super Bowl or something and they right. go oh my dad passed away I go god but was he around long enough to see right, you Right right I mean to me that's that.
1: that's to me that's the Paul Newman's one is the saddest because it just you're that close You know my dad was 43 when I was born Oh really Yeah so I was always jealous I remember being really jealous of Howie Mandel because Howie's dad was like 19 years old, something something like that. And he would bring his dad to the comedy store and his dad was like 48 or 50 and it was like, "Ah, I wish I could do this with my dad. And then sadly, Howie's dad just, I think, had a massive stroke or heart attack and died. And I went, oh man, just be careful what you wish for. You know, you just don't know. And I realized, because how it you're always jealous when people have their parents longer than you had yours, you know.
0: Well, it's 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 sort of be careful who you compare yourself to. Like you really don't know what their past is and right. what what's next. And yeah, it's easy yeah. to kind of go, that guy's got it so good over there. I'm yeah. I'm struggling over here. Well, but- it's
1: funny you said. I had a comic who was nameless. I mean, nameless, not famous, but he, he he said to me, you know, he grousing about the fact that he was not. Oh, let me do this. this, this. Oh, no, doing a podcast. call back. <laughs>
0: I like that technique. Uh, yeah. uh, I'm going to do that even when I'm driving yeah. and my mom calls
1: and uh, what was I talking about oh, oh, oh this uh, comic said to me well you know you and Seinfeld Letterman you were lucky you grew up during the golden age of comedy when it was easy I'm it wasn't any easier it's always the same it's not any easier it's just the most ridiculous comment."
0: yeah it's in you know, a in a way it it's like saying it was easier to make the celtics in you know nineteen sixty one or something well, the game may be different, but it wasn't easier
1: it you was know still you can only sports. live in the time you live in I hate these things where Well, I think uh, Muhammad Ali could not have been beaten by whoever might be or some modern fighter. They do it with race car drivers. Yeah, but they don't live in the same time. They don't live in the same era, different machinery. I mean, something that I thought was really fascinating, and they did this uh, with race car drivers. They took some of today's racers and put them in some cars from the 50s and earlier. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, my God, this is like the scariest because the brakes mean they're – Obviously, the reactions are as sharp as ever, but the car is not. It doesn't stop when you press in the brakes. You've got to use the transmission. You've got to put it into a bit of a slide to scrub off some speed. There's just all different techniques, you know. So you just live in the time you live in. J.B.
0: Weld is a proud sponsor of CarCast. J.B. Weld, the epoxy adhesive used by both pros and DIYers and trusted for over 50 years. Available at jbweld.com. Retailers everywhere. Home Depot, Lowe's, AutoZone, Advance Auto Parts, O'Reilly, Walmart, Amazon, Michaels, and more. J.B. Weld. So, uh, you come out, you're going, what are you studying in college at that point? Uh,
1: what, are what are we studying? Um, uh, I, I guess, I, I remember going to Emerson, and my parents wanted me to go to college, and I ought to go to college. And I took uh, speech therapy, because it said, at the end of the semester, each student would be required to give a 20 minutes talk. And I remember guys going, I got to talk, man, you got to talk, but I can't talk. I said, well, I can talk for 20 minutes. Give me that one. I'll, I'll sign up for that one. I, I paid no attention in college. I didn't have any interest in it. I was, at that point, I was working clubs and trying to be a comedian. I would go to class during the day and I would, I would drive from Boston, New York, almost every night to try and get on at the improv. And, be back in school the next day, and if something was on, wasn't on the test, I wasn't interested in it. But I somehow I graduated. To this day, I have no idea how that happened, but I did graduate. But I, I can say I got a lot out of it. But that being said, I made connections and I made friends, and I realized – because see, when I grew up, I was the only comedian I would ever met. I never, I never met anybody who wanted to do comedy for a living. I mean, there were people that did skits in school, but no, you can't. It didn't even occur to me. I remember Mrs. Langdell, our next-door neighbor, said, you can't be a comedian unless your father was a comedian. That's the way it works in Hollywood, you know. That you, once you go out there, if your father wasn't a comedian, you can't be, you know, it's, this is the only business where people know nothing about it. Feel free yeah. to, to give advice, you know. Sure. And I thought, oh, man, well, my dad wasn't a comedian. How am I ever going to make an here? you know. So <laughs> it was very funny.
0: I uh, When I met Jay when I was 20 or so, maybe 21, trying to trying to think, it's funny, I grew up, out here in North Hollywood but I didn't know any comedians and I didn't know how anything worked right. either and um, I I spotted Jay as I've told you guys living in the house across from the house I was working on right right up in the hills off uh, like Woodrow Wilson up there Del
1: Zero on Del, Del Zero, Zero Drive, Drive yeah. yeah
0: and I was I was working on a house and I I was putting stucco on the outside <laughs> of the house and the thing that's kind of weird about stucco I guess stucco, like putting stucco on is sort of like riding a horse. Like if the horse knows you're a novice and knows you're scared, it does what it does. Right. But if it respects you. And so the thing that's weird about stucco is you mix it up and you put on a hawk and you get a trowel. And the guy who knows how to spread stucco puts it up and just spreads it on. It just goes on like cream cheese on a bagel. And then he goes, you try. And then you do it and it all just falls off. (laughs) You just did the exact same thing he did. But it doesn't work. So I I was outside this house Trying to spread stucco on this window, and I was watching the neighbor, who was Jay, and I think you may have been renting that house at no, the No, no, I bought that house. You bought that yeah. house. What year did you buy that house? 1980. 1980. How long were you in that house for? Six years. Six years. So this, yeah, this must have been about 83, right, 82, right. 83. Was, yeah. and, and I was just watching this guy's schedule. It was a real tight street. It was a narrow street. I even think that the guy, the house, the couple whose house I was working on with the contractor was just me and another guy named Tom Johnson. I think at some point we they asked they could park their car in your driveway or something like that to make room for the truck or some version of that, and you had the big, uh, big Buick Roadmaster back then. Still got it. And all the motorcycles were in the garage. Right. I, can kinda, I can picture the house right now. It's like a, a driveway. The Buick was sort of in the back of the driveway. You turn right, there's the garage. Right, right, right. The front door's off the garage. Right, right. right. So I'm sitting out there, and I'm spreading stucco starting at 7 in the morning. And I, I'm noticing the neighbor, because I'm up on the scaffolding, just kind of the street's narrow. I can, it's quiet. And I see it come out and get the newspaper. And then you came out, you know, mid-morning or something like that. I don't know, probably did some sets that night at the comedy store or Hermosa or something. And it seemed to me you came out and got the paper at 10, 11 in the morning or something, right. some version of that. And then I see you go back in the house. And I think, okay, this guy's not working. Like, he's not getting up and having to go punch the clock, and I'm still out there spreading stucco. And then at some point at noon or 1 o'clock, you'd come out and start working on the bikes, in the garage, you start fiddling around with the bikes. And I remember thinking, what a schedule this guy's on. Oh, there you go. This guy's on a schedule. And then I, I recognized you. I was like, I, I think that's Jay Leno. I think that's the comedian. Now, this is 81, 82. Yeah, yeah. So you're not a household name. No, I've been on
1: Carson and Merv and all that kind of stuff. Right. I think I think
0: I know this guy. And uh, so I, I started going over after we punched out, which is like 3.30, and they started watching you, talking to you while you're working on the bikes. Had- yeah, I
1: remember thinking, well, that guy, man, he's done at work at 3.30. What a <laughs> schedule that guy's got. <laughs> you got to go to work tonight. That's yeah. great. i got to go to work in four hours.
0: <laughs> you had the bikes with the valves on the outside of them, the valve springs on the right. outside yeah, of them. Right,
1: some of the ex- older bikes, yeah.
0: Yeah, and you're working on those. We were talking about you having a... Sunbeam Tiger. Right, right. And you rolling it and it twisted yeah, rolled, it all up. I
1: rolled it three times. And then, <laughs> yeah. Do you remember Boris, the Russian guy that lived on the other side? The other side of the house you were in? You know, when my wife and I moved in, we keep this guy, hello, <laughs> hello, neighbor. My name is Boris. Hey, Boris. So Mavis says, well, we should, why don't we meet the neighbors? Let's go down to Ralph's or on the road. Let's get one of those cakes. Mm-hmm. And we'll bring it next door as a welcome gift. So. Like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I go, knock on the door. Yes. But, hi, Jay, Mavis, you're next door neighbor. Yes. Oh, we have a little gift for you. Oh, uh, come in. He's got a robe on. And I see the living room has no furniture. But it's got a shag carpet. He's got a camera set up, and there are two naked girls on the floor. <laughs> and he goes, oh, you're busy. No, no, it's just making a movie. Come in, come in. So <laughs> I, I have the cake. I go, hi, girls. Hello. hi, Hi. It's my wife, Mavis. Yeah, I'm being like, <laughs> like the neighbors, you know. So I said, hey, can I can't put this cake. Oh, just put it down the ground. So I, I put the cake on the floor, and the girls crawl over like two dogs. Cake! Blah, 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 and they start eating the cake. You know, And the guy goes, hey, girls, don't eat the cake. You got the <laughs> film to, more filming. Stop eating cake. Stop eating cake. You know, I said, well, I, I bought the cake for everybody. Really, it's fine. I said, my wife and I, we got to go, no, no, wait. The girls, go on down of the room. I uh, went to talk. And then we talked for a little, I go, this is Hollywood. I'm, I'm really living in Hollywood now. They're shooting a porn movie next door, and I bring a, I put it on the floor, and the girls crawl over and eat the cake. I mean, hilarious.
0: I should have went to Boris's instead of, yeah, exactly. instead of Leno's
1: place. Exactly.
0: So I just kind of would hang out in the garage a little bit and talk to Jay, and you were uh, surprised that I knew who you are. You were surprised that I recognized you, but uh, I thought, man... This guy's got his bikes. He's got his Roadmasters. Got his garage. Yeah, he's on a great schedule. And I thought, <clears throat> I got to figure out a way to get from spreading the stucco to spreading the mirth, like uh, the great Jay Leno. Yeah. From that point on, I was just like, I "Well, you've done this well. Out. You've done well." Well, you know, I, I don't know what your relationship is with. Well, oh, this will be a good question for you. Good. I love cars, as you know. Hmm. You love cars. And, you know, the cars we love aren't cheap or free, and someone's got to pay for this. And I wanted the same thing you wanted. I wanted mechanics. I wanted to fabricate things. I wanted right. to restore things, you know. Right. And I made a pretty simple decision, which is as long as I'm spreading the stucco up on the scaffolding, it's going to be difficult to do a lot of the things I want to do right. in, in terms of my passion for cars, you know and i sort of made a kind of nuts and bolts like you know i'm going to start working on comedy because i think there's a there's a better payday there and then i can you know i'm going to pack everything up and go to laguna seca in 2 months and do a vintage race and it i couldn't afford to do that if right. i was a carpenter right. so a lot of it was sort of practical and a little less art you know what i mean
1: well to me i thought it was a great job it was a good job right uh, you know but I, a
0: job you're yeah. emphasizing
1: yeah, and that's a mistake most people make. They think it's just funnel. I remember once I hosted Saturday Night Live and my friends came down and after you host they have the you know, the rap party. Oh, okay, great. Then they come to the Tonight Show one Monday, you know, and they're all in the audience and afterwards I go to my office and they all come up, Hey uh, where, where's the rap party I go it's not there's no I do this every day. We don't right. have a rap party Guys, I'm going back to work now. I gotta write the monologue for tomorrow. I can't go out oh you're not gonna go out on the- Have drinks? No, no. I gotta work, and tomorrow, the next day, the next, the next day. You do this every day, and people forget that it's show business. They forget the business aspect of it. They just go for the show, and that that's it. You know. I was always
0: kind of surprised if you've been on the set or been a guest on a very variety, a variety of different talk shows, night, late night, as well as daytime, and whatever. You'll notice that there's a kind of a that each set has its has a personality. I don't mean the set; I just mean the people with right, right. the, how it works. And Jay's set was very interesting. The thing I took note of on your set is that we'd be doing some run through or rehearsal or something, and your head writer or someone in that capacity would like, come up to you and go, hey, Jay, that thing's not working, or you're doing this wrong, or you're doing it out of order. And I was watching it going, that doesn't take place on most of these kind of sets, where somebody comes no, up and I, sort of I, says you're not doing it right.
1: I, I'm a huge believer in low self-esteem. You know, the only people with high self-esteem are criminals and actors. Because right. they think this, if it wasn't for that, I would be a huge success. I mean, I... You know, I'm dyslexic, and my mom would always tell me when I was a kid, you're going to have to work twice as hard as the other kids to get the same thing. And I always thought, well, that seemed fair. I'll just work twice as hard. And I can get the same thing just by doing that. Okay, that's fine. And to me, when I got The Tonight Show, I figured, let me hire these people. They know what they're doing. I'm good at the joke part. I'm not really good at the directing or whatever. So I'll hire good people and, and, and listen to them. And that was my thing on The Tonight Show, that anybody could stop the train. Anybody could pull the whistle, stop the train if there's something they don't like or something they thought was wrong. or not. And it, sometimes it makes it a little laborious, but everybody feels invested in the show. I mean, we had, we had no turnover in 22 years. We had the same people yeah. all the way, you know. And the funny part was everybody I hired, most had never worked in television before, and most were single. So they all wound up <laughs> marrying each other. And we had sixty four kids born wow in twenty two years Lo- of, within of, of, with staff members on the show because everybody was just it was just fun. I mean, I hate places that say we 're family here. any store that says we 're family, that means they don't want to pay you any money because right. they think you're family. so I never used that term, but it was it was kind of like like that a little bit. I mean, everybody got along fine, you know when uh, when you work on the show, like when I hired writers, I hired them for a year i didn 't hire them for thirteen and then dump them because it takes. Sometimes 20 weeks to find my voice with that writer. Just to, you know, I would tell people, just write everything. And when I hired people, we hired based on material. Submit me material with no name on it. And mm-hmm. I would read it and i go, let's hire this person. And one turned out to be a rabbi, middle-aged. The other turned out to be somebody with severe cerebral palsy who couldn't even leave his apartment. Wow. But, but wrote good jokes. Wow. But if that person had come in sort of, mm-hmm. sure. you know, in that, you know, the – the, the, that convoluted kind of wheelchair that has—I'm not being disrespectful here—just you know—and then somebody get them up the stairs, and their head right. is looking one way, and the, you know. But he wrote great jokes, uh, and 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 that worked pretty well. That worked pretty well. I never hired anybody that had an agent. I just said, submit me jokes. You know, I was standing at Polo Loco, and this guy behind me said, hi, I'm Sanso, I just graduated college. you get a degree in? I have sound engineering. I hope to be a sound engineer." I said, oh, you any good? He goes, yeah, I'm good. I said, I come to the time show tomorrow. I came by, and I hired him. He stayed there 23 years. That was Pat, yeah.
0: had 26 kids. <laughs> yeah, with, yeah, yeah, exactly, with, exactly. With, with 11
1: interns. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was fun. It was a fun place to work. I, I really enjoyed it. It was a great time. You know, a lot of ups and downs, but that's okay. That's okay, it was exciting. Low
0: self-esteem. This is interesting to me. Um, I always tell people I don't have low self-esteem, I just have no self-esteem. I don't really think about Okay,
1: okay, let's 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 go with no self-esteem. That's I'll it, I'll, I'll I'll take that. I mean, it's, it's, I just don't assume that I'm the smartest person in the room. But I it, it, the self-esteem to me
0: is neither here nor there. That's the way I look at uh-huh. it. Like I don't look at myself as low, like oh you're so bad or you're dumb or you're whatever. I just there's stuff I'm good at, and there's stuff I'm not good at, but that's not I'm not constantly evaluating my self
1: esteem. I think the self esteem movement. Yeah, well, I, I, I think more like I'm a mutt and a purebred thing here. Okay, and and I try to use these every one of those both sides of the of the coin there at the same time. Uh Yeah, I, you're probably right. Rather than low self esteem, is no low self esteem just sounds funnier because. Like I say, when you assume you're not the smartest person in the room, you don't speak first. You let other people speak and hear what they have to say. Okay. Oh, oh man, that's better than what I had. Okay. All right, well, I'll go with that. You know, as opposed to well,
0: also you're the you're the person who's telling the joke. So ultimately, it's going to be you'll get the credit for the joke. So exactly. Use the best joke in the room. Right. So you, I, I, I often think about uh, how. how Oh, uh, I think about your collection. I think about how much you love cars. The thing that's interesting about you and vehicles and cars is, uh, you know, pardon the pun. Most people pick a lane. You know, you, you talk to those guys all the time or they tell you they're a car nut and then they tell you they're a Mopar guy. Right. And then if you bring up a BMW M1, they go, what? I don't know what that one is. Yo,
1: I have a friend who's a right. uh, mention. That, I got a friend who's a Mopar guy. He can tell you. Look at oh yeah, that was built on a Thursday. Right. I remember Larry was working uh, the undercoating that day, right. and this is why you have this smear on the guy. And he came to my garage, and he goes, "Duesenberg, what's that? German?" Right. No, no, it's American. You know Duesenberg. I mean, I've heard it. I thought it was German. No, no, it's an American build. Really? I mean, it's the American car. And I, I was always, I, I, he was a Mopar guy. That's all he did. Right. And you, I
0: cannot find a a real lane for you in terms of brands. I think you appreciate the mechanics, uh, the mechanicals. I'm by Carl.
1: I like all kinds of cars. (laughs) Individually. Yeah. 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 And. uh, You know, I like, I like noble failures. I like cars that were ahead of their time, in their time. Cars that were built too good. They couldn't possibly make a profit because I, I I was driving a car just today called the Will St. Clair. Now, Will St. Clair, he was uh, – Harold Wills was his name. Uh, he was Henry Ford's metallurgist. He was Ford's first employee. Really, He designed the planetary transmission. He didn't invent vanadium steel but was responsible for it because he was a metallurgist. He designed the Ford logo, the blue oval. Those really? Today. Yeah. He was Henry Ford's first, if not very first, employee. And Ford split everything with them fifty fifty wow. and Ford being somewhat cantankerous, uh, they, had, they had a falling out, and he took his like would be equivalent of like twenty million dollars in stock and started the will Clair car. It was overhead cam nineteen twenty overhead cam uh v8 uh, no fan belt. All everything driven internally. Fan driven internally. It's all uh, chain
0: driven or gear driven. No gear driven. No wow. gear driven.
1: Ooh. Gear driven uh, cams. Wow. Uh, based on the Hispano-Suiza aero yeah, engine. I mean, that's very he, I mean, it's the most. And Henry Ford. They were still friends. Henry Ford came out, to take a look at it, and said, "It's too complicated. Nobody can fix it, and nobody wants to go seventy miles an hour." And every car right. was a prototype. He always. Kept trying to improve it and make it. What was the displacement? 265 cubic inch, 67 horsepower. Uh, it's one of the, I'll show you. It's one of the most beautiful motors you've ever seen. But he built about 12 or 14,000 of them. But ultimately, he went under because it was supposed to be a $2,000 car. Turned out to be a $3,000 car when a Ford Model T was $260. Right. A Henry Ford's genius was he built exactly what people needed and not one cent more.
0: Right, he was kind of McDonald's versus foodie chefy. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve crepes on a taco. Good food
1: at sensible prices. Thank you. Yeah,
0: right. And and so for you, not being a Mopar guy or a Porsche or Ferrari guy, just sort of going, I'm looking for the most uniquely or ambitiously engineered car. With I think. You probably like the story as well.
1: Yeah, like I bought a Carrera GT. That was my first Porsche. But I bought what the clutch year? first. sorry? 2004. I bought the clutch because it had that six-inch carbon fiber clutch. So I called Porsche and I said, can I get one just to look at it? And I was so impressed with the, the clutch. I bought the car. And I thought, oh, I just found it fascinating that you could put that much power through a little six-inch clutch. Yeah. And and it was just a beautifully engineered thing.
0: The uh, Carrera GT, um, Paul Walker famously died with one right. of them, his partner. Uh, also, somebody else died in one of those cars at uh, Fontana, mm-hmm. I believe, at some point. Yeah. I don't know. And you went around Daytona or Talladega, I'm sorry. Talladega. Talladega, 200 miles an hour? In one 100, of, no, 190. 190, one of those. 100 laps and 190. Uh, one of those cars, right? Probably more dangerous than you'd thought at the Boy, time. Well,
1: you know, so, you know what's really interesting. Now this is 2004, and I'm driving that car going 190, and every time we hit the, we get to the the corner, you feel it start to just, just move up the wall a little bit. It's like, mm-hmm. ooh, ooh. Right, the you bank. Know, he, and the bank. car, and you, it's just walking around. Now, we had Norbert Singer. He's the famous suspension guy from Porsche. He came through and went through the car and did everything else. Then, what, 15 years later, I'm in um, uh, Detroit with the ZR1 Corvette with um, um, Juchner, uh Taz Juchner, the head engineer for Mm-hmm. for uh, Corvette. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, I, I called him up and I said, can we take it to 200 miles an hour? He said, sure, okay. So, so we go to the Proving Ground in Michigan. Oh, Was this again? Okay. Tell him you're doing a podcast. I'm, uh, I'm doing uh, okay. the middle of a podcast. I'll call right back. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm with Taz Juechner. So I said, are you a chief engineer for Corvette? Yeah, we get in the car. I said, before we go, tell me the first time you went 200 in a Corvette. He said, well, I never have. I said, what do you mean you never have? He said, I haven't. I've never been that fast in a Corvette. I said, so the first time you're going over 200 miles an hour is with a comedian who's never been on the track in a car you designed but are never taken to – he said, I guess so. I said, let's go do that. Okay. So we get on the track. Now we're averaging about – I think we averaged 204. But we, we hit 212 and just kept – we went 50 miles at 204 miles an hour wow. average. Rock steady, didn't move. Really? Just un. Just unbelievable. Just a far, far un- unbelievable. cry from the. Uh, and this is a Corvette, not, not a half a million dollar. Right. But it, right. it shows you how far aerodynamics and suspension have, have come in just 15 years.
0: I think, famously, and you guys can look this up if you want, I'm just showing off in front of Jay, but uh, Mark Donahue, who drove the 917 Porsche. Right.
1: I was with his son. Oh, you were? Yep. He was with me.
0: Uh Ken car went yeah. out to Talladega to set the speed record in that in that car. Yeah. In that nine seventeen. Then he I think died during practice or something. I think Very you're right. shortly I think you're right. thereafter. Well, let me hit Geico in thirty seconds here. Right now, Geico's offering an extra fifteen percent credit on car, motorcycle, and R V policies. That's fifteen percent. On top of the money, GEICO could already be saving you if you're going with GEICO. So I don't know what you're waiting for, people. You want to save money on your auto insurance and motorcycle, RVs as well. There's uh, money to be saved with GEICO. And you get the 15% off when you switch by October 7th. Visit GEICO.com to learn more. Let's talk about you don't have any kids. You have all these cars. Uh, at some and point motorcycles. and motor tons of motorcycles at some point, your facility's going to have to become a museum, not my problem, but I, <laughs> you must have some thoughts about it uh, mean,
1: not really, no, not my problem it's i, I don 't know whatever happens happens, you know people make all these plans like they 're going to be looking down to see what happens to their stuff after they die. No, I
0: get it, but
1: you must be approached by the Peterson Museum or
0: somebody who says like, hey, no, what are we no, going to do? Not with these really. cars? You know,
1: I remember I I get a lot of calls from from wives who husbands have died and I'm interested in purchasing you know. And this all seems so ghoulish. And this woman calls me and her husband had a speech to her Porsche, like at fifty eight. And she says she's at the funeral. They are lowering the casket into the ground. She feels a tug on her shoulder and the guy goes, Look, I know this isn't probably a, a very good time, but you know, if you've given any thought about selling them, <laughs> <laughs> it's that's like, funny. the guy's not even in the that's, that's Hilarious. That's she goes, it's not, it's not a good time. Oh, it's not. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and they go like,
0: really? The guy doesn't have a clue. So there's nothing on paper saying this is where these cars are going. If No, I, I not no so far, but accident. maybe
1: I'll, I'll give us some thought now. <laughs> Honey, Adam said we should do something about the cars. Uh, it
0: seems uh, I I don't know I, I it often crosses my mind I, maybe uh, I don't want to sound ghoulish either but I just think
1: but there's something there you want which one is it which one is it
0: I uh, I've never thought in those terms but now that you mentioned now it. that you mentioned it the McLaren F1 oh yeah yeah uh, yeah just cards tick, tick 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 a shining too. That's you know the greatest not for
1: nothing investment I have. People thought I was out of my mind when I bought that car. What did yeah. you pay for it? Well, what, what happened was I'd been reading about them, and they had been out of production for like five years. Is that, uh, sorry, 93, 94? No, this is, uh, the F1. mine is the 94. I got it 98. Oh, oh okay. okay, sorry. Okay, so uh, okay. I can't really find one. So I call McLaren, and I speak to Harold Dermott. <laughs> Harold and Jay Leno, like, oh, Miss Leno, yes, you know, the, yes, just. Yes, I, I said, I'm interested. In we have one here. We have Black McLaren here, car number 15. Uh, it's for sale now. I said, how much is it? He goes, 800000 I said, well, that's just about what it costs, new, isn't it? He goes, well, well, true, but we think they're going to go up in value. I said, well, uh, $800,000. I, I said, would um, you want to think about it? You know. I, I said, yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll call you back in two weeks. If it's not sold, I'll buy it. So in the two weeks, I'm going. Oh, I hope they sell it. Tell you an idiot, I am to buy this stupid thing. This is 1998, right? Right. Yeah, so,
0: eight hundred. Yeah. Oh, uh, you get a nice big house in the hills. Yeah, exactly. For eight hundred grand right, in 1998.
1: So okay. Okay. So a big house. So the, the two world. weeks go by. I call the house Hello, Jen? yeah. Listen about the car. He goes, "Yes, we got an inquiry today. A query. We got a query on the car today." I'm thinking, "Oh, really?" The day I called, they got a query on the car. Right. I said, "Well." Um. So uh, we, uh, yes, we, um, should I call the fellow back? I, uh, no, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. All right, okay. We'd like you to come over and come for fitting. Uh, fitting, uh, we set the seat to you and blah blah. You know all the, the typically English sort of nonsense. Sit in more. the middle of that car. Yeah, sit in the middle. Right? Right. And so I went over and I bought it. And I bought it. And uh, it was funny because now now it's a used car, right? And there was a luxury tax of five percent on all cars over $30,000 in the 90s. it's mm-hmm. Okay. So I bring it in, and the custom guy, it comes in the port in the East Coast near Boston because I had to get it certified by a guy who would certify him. Yeah. And he says, uh, oh, yeah, uh, import tax is this, and it's $50,000 for the luxury car tax. I said, but it doesn't apply to used cars. And the guy says to me, no used car costs $800,000. <laughs> I go, well, it's a 94. Here's all the, I have my lawyer send the information. He goes, I don't care. He says, no, we can keep it here in the dock for six months or a year until you get all your thing. No, you could pay $50,000 and get it out tomorrow. <sighs> all right. So then I pay the $50,000. Wow. What am I going to do? Yeah, I know. You know. Okay, so that's what I do. So then I get here. And, of course, the last offer I got for it was seventeen five one went,
0: million. Point five. Yeah,
1: one went for 20 and then one just sold privately for 24 and
0: uh, so which uh well that's why when i stated the one car i wanted you know as as much as much as i like the story about the guy who built the one put the indian engine in it my right, son right. drove it well yeah drove it from seattle to new york no that, he drove it from. oh yeah that's uh, cute yeah yeah but I'll, I'll take the McLaren, is right. what, exactly. what I'm saying. Exactly. So if we could just get a post-it and put my name on it, exactly. just kind of stick it to the exactly. fender. Uh, did the one that sold privately for $24 bucks is that the same? And there's different versions of them every once in a while, like a lightweight or a track or
1: something. Well, there's no track version. They're all road cars. They never right. built but a race car. Something in fact, R model or it was something? the last car you could drive to Le Mans, win the race, and drive home. Wow. It was a streetcar. So the
0: 24 million, and, million dollar one was the same one as your car.
1: Well, with less horsepower. With less horsepower. Yeah, because they felt it had too much of an unfair advantage. So they cut about 60 or 70 horsepower from it.
0: Oh, the, the sanctioning body. Right, the did. sanctioning when body. When they yeah. You so, mean when they homologated when it. When they homologated it. Yeah, so, it so the,
1: the f- came from the factory with 627 horsepower. The one that Won Mans probably had 550.
0: Wow. All right, let me hit J.B. Weld here. DIY projects. Yeah, well, you're talking to Mr. Leno, Mr. Kroll, and we do a lot of this stuff. Uh, you want to uh, use the best. You don't want to use ordinary glue. Ordinary glue, well, it's got the word ordinary in it. You want something better. You want a strong choice. You want J.B. Weld. We're proud to have them as a sponsor. They're great. I know these guys. I saw them at uh, SEMA. I saw their booth over at SEMA where I see Jay every year. I've and, used that. It's great. I walked over there and introduced myself, (laughs) struck up a conversation with the owner, and uh, I said, come on as a sponsor. Next thing you know, i got a box of JB Weld and the hat, and here we are. JB Weld, put it in your toolbox, put it in your kitchen drawer. It's good for metal, wood, plastic, and whatever you're using it on. I have it at the shop. I have it in my garage. Don't glue it. JB Weld it. It's available at jbweld.com, Home Depot, Lowe's. AutoZone, Advance Auto Parts, O'Reilly, Walmart, Amazon, Michaels, and more. You know, It's so JB Weld,
1: yeah. You remind me of, uh, they used to be a big guy named Bob Braun, who did a TV show. He was like the Mike Douglas of the Midwest. Mm. He did Ohio and, like, the tri-state area. And he would do that. He would be talking to you, and he would slip into the con- he, he would say, like, uh, uh, Jay, what'd you have for lunch today? You know? I, uh, oh, oh, I had a hamburger. I had a con wiener. You know, Con Wiener, the ween of the world, waited. You know, Con Wiener's, and I go, what? And I realized, oh, he would just slip into the commercial, right into it, like you're talking to me, and you're, like, well, like J. B. Is, what like JB Weld What, what JB Weld? What? I mean, that, you know, it's like the funniest thing.
0: It's a little different rhythm than uh, the old uh, Tonight Show and what, where, where we were. I, I like that guys like you. And to me, to some degree, are guys like Phil Rosenthal. Phil Rosenthal likes traveling, and he likes food. So he made a show where he travels around and eats food. Jay likes meeting people in cars, so he made a show where he gets to meet people and drive cars.
1: Now, maybe this is why I like cars and mechanical. It might be the same. We are a business that's very subjective. Every day I read, some people like me. Some people think I suck. That's fine, and they're both correct. Because if I don't make you laugh, then in your eyes I suck. But when something's broken, and it's now running, no one can say it's not running. Right? You can't say, no, it's not. You hear it? Well, well fine. You know, put your hand on the exhaust pipe if you don't think it's running. You know. I mean, and that's what's fun about it. Because when you work in the garage, you put something together. I mean, I feel the greatest sense of elation when I fix something. I ha- I was driving my AC Cobra the other day, and the steering. Column just dropped down on me. And I went, ah, what is this? I thought. Uh, you're 427? No, no, the, I got a 64 eighty nine. Oh, and I went, uh, I went oh, it, it, what am I going to do? I'll take that car, by the way, too. Go I, ahead. But I thought the steering box, and I got underneath it, and I realized, oh, there's just a nine sixteenth bolt here. It's on a slide. Mm-hmm. It just, I just tightened it up, and I went, ah, oh, and then I went for another 100 mile drive. Just because I felt like I had, a con- I had done something with my day. I had taken something that was broken and i fixed it and now it works i mean a simple fix yes mm-hmm. uh, it took a while to figure out what it was but that's okay and that's why i enjoy the mechanical nature of things because when you fix something that's broken you you you've done something no and and you're right it's beyond
0: reproach so in a world where everyone has an opinion and you have to argue with everybody right. about everything, and oh, you think you're an expert, you know, Doctor Drew's greatest lament is that everyone argues with him. And he has 30 years of medical training, and right. he has people telling him his business all the time because they just went to WebMD and blah blah blah. And I, and you know, as a comedian, sure, that guy's funny. That guy's not funny. That guy's right. offensive. Yeah. That guy's not offensive. I said the only thing I miss really about being a carpenter is nobody ever would come up and go, oh, that's the way you do a hinge mortise. i do it this way, or give me that, or I'll handle that, or I'll put that base shoe up. Like, they couldn't do it, they didn't know how right, to do it, and right. they'd leave you alone.
1: Yeah, you and- know it's so funny? I had a guy in the Tonight Show. I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. He's the first blind man ever to climb Everest. And he's like one of these terrific motivational speakers. Mm-hmm. And he's he gets so angry because he said, he will go, he'll talk about... The problem of being blind, when climbing Everest, you, you know, you've got to feel everything. You can't look and see a ledge. You've got to touch. You can't see, you know. Uh,
0: Eric uh, Eric we- Weinemeyer yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric Weinamayer. I
1: mean, a sighted person can see, oh, you're going on a ledge that, that eventually right. d- disappears. So go off to this ledge. And he would give his whole talk, and you know, the thing, overcoming, you know, to, to business people, overcoming adversity and not being able to breathe and you can't see. Is it night? Mm-hmm. Is it day? He said, inevitably, someone would come up to him and go, you know, I was going to, uh, climb Everest last summer, but then, you know, my kids are in this, uh, soccer thing and I needed to get involved, but I, yeah. you know, I was thinking of doing And he, he says, it's all he could do just from like taking his cane, just whacking the guy in the face, <laughs> you
2: know,
1: just because he, he, I mean, he trained for this. The first blind person to climb unassisted. I mean, I mean, he had people with him, but not, you know, it just, and, and, People just took it, like, yeah, yeah, you know, I was going to do that Jim, yeah, and uh, I was going to think of trying that I, I, and i 'm sure you hear this all the time, you know, I was going to do comedy, but then you know, I decided maybe insurance sales was more for me, But well, i'm sure you would have been a huge success if you if you pursued it, you
0: know well, you also get a lot of like well, you're lucky you met Kimmel when you did it's like well, Kimmel wasn't doing anything when I met him, you <laughs> yeah, know funny, he wasn't funny. running his own late night show funny. they 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 love to minimize that. That accomplishment because I think it it just makes it easier for them to sort of accept their lot in life now how much mechanical bleeds into the comic or the material not the material specifically but the assembly of the material like how how How? much of your so your brain is very sort of linear when you work on things you have to have an order sort of you, you have to do things in the right order you have to be kind of methodical about it you know, I know you get out and work out every week at uh, Hermosa, and and your mechan- I've seen your standup; it's very funny, but it, it's it's pre- it has a lot of precision. To well, precision. You know mean? a book
1: you would love called Precision by Simon Winchester. It's really, a, it's one of the greatest books. You would love this book because it is all about precision, starting with steam engines of the 1700s, right up into the modern iPhone, and. As a comic, you know, I always try to. To me, the, the real essence of comedy is economy of words. Use the sm- fewest amount of words will get you the biggest possible laugh. The quicker you get to the joke, the funnier it is. Like you never want to repeat a word in a sentence twice. It's like right. um, a river. da a river. Now you said river twice. Make it. The body of water in one and river in the other. I mean, because right. you, you, you know, and, and I always try to, to do that. Sometimes when you talk to civilians that want to be comedians, they talk like this. So I goes to him, right? And like this guy, like he goes to me when I go back to him. I go, what do you mean go? You mean talk to him? Right. It's just the most annoying. It's like fingernails on a blackboard. You know, it's just the most annoying thing ever. So
0: the precision – that you enjoy so much in the mechanical world, I, I would say it's safe to say that that has been brought to your stand-up as well. So. Maybe, un, maybe it's unbeknownst to you. Maybe it's just a way of thinking. Maybe it's that kind of a... Well, you pers- try
1: to use a fewest amount of words. I, was trying to, I, I had a joke. Tell me if this is funny. You know, with all this, uh, it's very competitive out there now in, in the marketplace with this pandemic thing. Like the 99-cent store is now accusing the dollar store of price gouging.
0: Right, funny. I, just, I saw you do it on Mar. Oh, you uh, saw. I love week. that joke. Yeah, yeah, it's a great joke. joke. Yeah, yeah. and you told a bunch of good jokes on that. Uh, on sometimes on last, one just, just week before last, just on to Mar. do
1: silly jokes. You know, one of my favorite ones is uh, because you don't really see where it's going. That's kind of the funny part. I said, I, I, "This is true." I do it in a gig in Alaska, so I go up to Alaska. It's February, okay. The sun comes up at 11.30 in the morning and goes down again at one thirty in the afternoon. It is like 50 degrees below zero. Yet when I walked into the 50 drugstore, the ice cream was still soft. Why is that? Why is that? I don't understand why that is. I mean, I just like that joke. Yeah, it's a good joke. I like well-fabricated jokes. I like, I like this one. Like there was a story about a kid in China that had the vestiges of a third eye, literally – it wasn't an actual eye, but it had the vestiges of a third eye in the center of his forehead. And today, lenscrafters said they can make him glasses in about an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just like—I just well, like that job. You love that joke. You love—you
0: love jokes. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like how to—how um, you would. Everyone has to describe this style now to everyone. You know, he's a storyteller. He's a comedian. I like to tell
1: stories. I mean, stories are what I really enjoy the most. You know, I told a story the other day when I was doing one of my um, Jane Lowe's garage things. I was driving my 57 Chrysler Imperial. And I talked about this guy. My dad had a friend named Mario the Carpenter. And Mario had a 59 Oldsmobile convertible. You know, with like silver, red leather interior, and Mario was the classic '50s Italian guy from New York with the jet black hair, the big muscles. He had the Marlboros rolled up in the sleeves. And my mother, who was from Scotland and was the most conservative person you could imagine, I heard her once say to one of her girlfriends, "Oh, that Mario, you know, when he comes by, the women swoon." You know, and I, oh. oh. So one day we're having – we always had Sunday dinner. We ate dinner at 1.30 to 2 o'clock and there was always a big dinner. All that was club. Sunday dinner. Sunday dinner. And my dad invited Mario the carpenter. So Mario comes in and he's still got the T-shirt on. even at dinner with the Marlboros and he sits down. So I look at Mario and I look at my mom. I look at the other women at the table. look at Mario and I look at mom. And my mother goes, what What are you doing? I said, well, mom, you said the women all swoon whenever Mario comes in. I don't see anybody swoon. My mother, oh! Just ran out, locked herself in the bathroom. Me and my man, was like, ha, 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 he's got the Marlboro he's smoking like the cockiest guy in the world. You know, it's just funny. It's just funny. You know, I used to love those things when I was a kid. You know, when I was, I, I I used to like the Sunday dinners because I got to sit with the adults, you know. And one day, we're having a Sunday. And when you're a kid, I'm like seven, you know. And I had my Uncle Louie, who was a bachelor, uh, a lot of women, you know. My mother said, "Now, Louie, where's that lovely Louise? You're not seeing her anymore. How come?" And my uncle Lou goes, "She was frigid." And my mother just, I see her lips tighten. (laughs) Just throw him a look, you know. And and Lou realized, "Oh, the kids at the table. Look, and see my dad, like he's looking away." And I go, "Frigid? What does that mean?" Okay, so (laughs) I pass this all, whatever. So fine. So then uh, the next day, I go to the library, look up the word "frigid." It says, "Frozen, as in a block of ice." Frigid. Okay. Oh, next Sunday we have Sunday dinner. Lou's sitting there and I, I, I and I think uh, this is, you know, I'm a kid. And I say, Lou, I am sorry to hear about uh, Louise passing away. My, my mother goes, What are you talking about? What? Well, I guess she froze to death in a block of ice or something. And my uncle goes, What are you talking about? Well, last week you said she was frigid. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. My dad falls out of the chair. Louise laughed. That was, the beginning, that was the inception of the children's table from the next from that point on, That's where they invented it I, yeah the card, the card table was off to the side. I ate dinner with the other kids off to the side. That was the last time we ate at the grown-up table. I just I just love those kind of stories. they just make me laugh, you know
0: yeah, I'm, I was thinking about the first joke I could ever remember telling was that same around the dinner table joke. It, it was a, it, it was, yours was a from the mouth of babes kind of joke. Mine was sort of intentional, which is, uh, my family's kind of busted up and we didn't have the Sunday dinners, but my grandparents lived nearby and my grandfather, my uh, step grandfather's Hungarian and he would cook goulash and, and other Hungarian food, which I, right. I loved. And so we'd go to their house for dinner. And I said to my grandfather, he'd take, uh, goulash. And I I said to him, uh what does uh what's goulash mean? Like what's a translation of goulash? And he said uh he thought about it. He said, uh it's cowboy. It's a cowboy stew. It's like it means cowboy stew, they would call it. Okay. And I said, Oh, so when you're a kid you play goulash and in Indians? And it's like, you know, first seven and a half year old. Not bad, yeah. It wasn't 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 bad. You could tell the little yeah. gears were turning in the in the comedy department. Right. And I guess that's kind of how I always thought. I got kind of pulled into the
1: blue-collar world that, and spent too much time there. Do you find that – I found that every funny thing I ever said always made a little indentation in my mind. Well, I remember being no more than four or five, and my mother took me everywhere because we couldn't afford a babysitter. And we went to my Aunt Edie's like the women would meet for wine, you know, all the moms and the aunts and everything. And my mom would bring me along. I remember sitting there, and all the women, ooh, you know, like third glass of wine. And I, my mom said, I put my hand up. I said, and and this seemed like a perfectly legitimate question. I said, how come women have humps like camels? <laughs> Just I, well, stop, stop, stop I mean, what did I say? What I say? Just stop with that! What did I say? I didn't understand what I said. But I just—I remember. I can see the room. I can see the wallpaper. I remember all the people there. Right. You know, it's—it's it's funny. I mean, the first joke I ever told that got a laugh. I was in Mrs. Allen's class in the fourth grade, and she was talking about Robin Hood. About what? Sir? Robin Hood. Robin Hood. And she about Robin. And she said the sheriff of. Of Nottingham was very cruel. He would often boil Robin's men in oil. And I put my hand up and I said, "Do you know what? Do you know why he did that to Tuck?" And she said, "No, why?" I said, "Because he was a friar." <laughs> okay. Right. And she goes, I, "That's not—that's not funny." But I could—I could, could see—I could see like she's kind of laughed, you know. So then we class. We go. Bell rings. We go to our next class. And after the next class, one of the teachers said, "Hey, Leno, come over here. What would you said? You said something about a friar and clap. What was that?" I fright oh, oh, she told my joke in the teacher's oh, lounge. wow, the I ultimate said, oh, tip of the oh, cat. Oh, yeah, that was – that. yeah, it was like, ooh. So I always remember that. That got a big laugh. That got a big laugh. Is uh, – so for you, You I mean, everyone always
0: wants to know where it comes from. But my parents weren't particularly funny. I don't know
1: if – Oh, if my parents were hilarious. They my were. You was, got it from them? My dad was loud, a prize fighter, and Italian – My mom was quiet, demure, Scotch woman, and they were the funniest people. Oh, I I mean, they just – you know, as a kid, to watch the Scotch side, when we would go to my Aunt Nettie's house, that was my mother's side, would you like a scone, Jamie? And she gave me this stale biscuit – And she'd, you like a Coca-Cola? And she kept Coca-Cola in the cupboard because you don't need to refrigerate it, Jamie. It tastes the same. It's in a can. It doesn't matter whether it's warm or cold. It tastes the same. And she'd pour this Coke and all the fizz would come out and I'd have the stale biscuit. and, And then we would go to my Aunt Edie's house. And it would be meatballs and lasagna and spaghetti and then whenever the Italians would come, they'd pull me and say, Jamie, the Italian people waste food, Jamie. Look this this twenty five meatballs here, Jamie. There's only four people. Who's going to eat all those meatballs? It's a terrible thing the way they waste food. The Italian people and you know, and then my uncle, Jay, come over here and he'd slip me five bucks. Don't listen to those Scotch people, they're cheap <laughs> bastards. You know, and the, and it was just funny. It was just because I was always everybody was vying for my affection and vying for my attention, always trying to win me over, you know. So so I I I had a wonderful childhood. You know, it was it was an ethnic childhood in that sense that we were Italian and my mother was Scotch and the Jewish family, the Henrys, lived across the street and it was everybody had their own. I was like a Shabbos guy, my boy, My job was to go you know, turn off the lights for the Jewish people on the Sabbath and do other. Th- so it, I mean, it was just it was just fun. I I, I enjoyed it my, and my parents were were very funny people that way. They just. My, you know, my uh, embarrassing my mother was my – my mother hated to have attention drawn to herself, mm. you know. And she'd also say, when you get to school, she stay quiet. Don't put your hand up. Don't fall asleep. no, tell me you're Angelano's boy. You don't listen to your mother. You say Angelano's my father, you know. So I would always be – so there was always something on both sides, you know. Like when I was a little kid, we would go to the market and I would run away. And then I'd run up to the manager. And go, could you page Mrs. Catherine Leto? That's my mom. Would Catherine Leto? Oh, my mother's so <laughs> embarrassed to hear her name in right. the supermarket. She would run up and grab me, you know, and, and just, what are you doing? Stop! Yeah, just, just
0: well, I, it's interesting because you kind of have a dichotomy where you you like being up on stage, you like people, you like interacting with people, and then there's a. Kind of quiet, work on the car alone, a kind of a solitude, you know, go out to the garage right, on right. a weekday. and So maybe you have both, both that sort of coursing through your veins?
1: Oh, yeah. Yes, because I think, you know, when I got The Tonight Show, it was originally The Tonight Show starring Jay Leno. And my mother, who starred in Jay Leno, oh, listen, to the big shot, starred in Jay Leno. You right. put your name all over things. It's a kind of a show-offy thing to do. Don't you think, Jimmy? I said, my mom, that's just the way to do it. Star in Jay Leno, he's a big star. But my mother couldn't get past it. So I just changed it to Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Just, to Just to, oh, just, just to placate my mother. Because, oh, starred in Jay Leno. <laughs> Mr. Who's who, listen to him now. He's Mr. Big Shot, starred in Jay Leno. Yeah, oh, yeah, hilarious. So just my mother couldn't get past that.
0: Well, maybe she's... Gave you the now what I've dubbed the no self esteem, and the, the no self esteem frees you up to get into a Porsche GT and try to set a speed record. To tell, well, first of off. all,
1: it's one of those phony speed. It's one of those records they make up. Nobody has gone 190 uh, uh, 190 miles an hour for 100 miles in a Porsche Carrera GT. So it's it's not like I beat some professional race car driver. It's just a record. This.
0: No, I get it, but I, I've been around. I, I, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today is because I, I watch Jay Leno's garage and I see they go, uh, we're going to go up in a fire helicopter. And so the guy goes, oh, get on. It's a Chinook or whatever. You climb into the fire helicopter. Next thing you go, the guy's just taken off. He drops a snorkel down over the swimming pool, picks up the water. Now he's banking hard and you're flopping around back there. (laughs) You jump in the Hemi under glass or you jump in the race car with me at the race in Fontana. And I just think most people wouldn't just jump into those things.
1: Well, that's what's fun. That's the fun part. Fun for you, but scary for others with higher self-esteem. Well, sitting down and being forced to do a math problem, that would be frightening. Right. Or having to spell. I, I, I can't spell. I'm just, I How'd you spell. do all the cue card work with the being dyslexic and Well, I, I memorize most stuff.
0: You memorize yeah, most
1: of it? Most of it, but I would have, you know, oh oh, yeah, that's the next, yeah, yeah. That's why a teleprompter would always throw me, because it moves. With a cue card, everything is on the card. So if I jumped ahead, I could go back. It's all in front of me, so I could I could. Cook. Were you able to read out loud oh, yeah, that way self-care. pretty well? Oh yeah, that was not a that was not a problem. No,
0: no, it was the dyslexia kicked in with the writing and yeah, or spelling or anything of that nature. Yeah, yeah. And awesome. so I was not dyslexic, but I didn't learn to read or write, and so I could have had a lot of trouble spelling. I still do reading, yeah, and yeah. I remember at the beginning, cue cards were were scary to me because I I could not read, and reading out loud, you know, in front of the class was scary enough, but in front of Few million people,
1: and uh, yeah. Well, my first two weeks of the Tonight Show were live, live. Oh, live, 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 because there was some kind of strike going on, so we had no cue cards. So we had to memorize a monologue, fourteen minute monologue, every day. The first two weeks, yeah. The first two weeks, yeah.
0: So you get out of the gate. How how long did they have guests after Carson, or did they have guests after Carson? <sighs> they didn't.
1: You mean guest hosts? They didn't. It was just me. Just went right from. Carson you probably, to you. You probably like that story. There, I would. There were. This is why I never took a job for the money. There were like a half a dozen people that were regular guest hosts. Uh, right. Joan was the permanent guest host. She had kind of dropped the ball there. With at all at that,
0: the end of Carson's know. reign, he would once or twice a week
1: someone would guest host, or how would that? Well, yeah, he was off fifteen weeks a year. Okay. So they had all these guest hosts, okay. and there was a manager who uh, had. As clients, like of the six or seven guys, he had like five of them. The guest house. Yeah. And he called me up. and He said, listen, we're going to go to Cars. We're asking $25,000 a show for each one of our guys. And they want you to join us. And I said, you know, I'm asking for $512 a show. He said, well, we can get $25,000 a show. We've gotten it in the past. I said, I know, but I get $512. I I said, no, I'm going to keep it my $512. And then I'm named <laughs> permanent guest host. Duh. Right. Johnny owned the show. He's paying for it out of his pocket. Why would he shell out? Right. $100,000 a week is what it would be to get five, four different guest hosts when you got this guy for $512. We all got about the same rating. So, and that's when I learned I never argue about money. What does it pay? Fine. Like I do Tim Allen's show now. I have no idea what it pays. I, I don't even look. I just go because I like Tim. It's a thrill to be on. We're going into our sixth season of me on the show. And it's it's fine. It's fine because I make my money that helps me make money. Yeah, yeah. No, I,
0: I agree. Kevin Hench, my friend, is the guy who runs that show and I'm I'm happy to see you on Tim's show and Tim's on your show a lot. Right. But Yeah, I agree. I don't I don't think people understand that, uh, by the way, even if it paid relatively well, it wouldn't make a difference in your life. It's not even worth.
1: No, it's not. I mean, it's but but I mean, it's not the end all be all. I mean, to me, you don't want to outlive. You don't want to outperform your worth, if that makes any sense. Uh, You know, you you know, if you're worth more, you'll get it. You know, I mean, that was I never really asked for a raise on The Tonight Show, but I always got them. The uh,
0: One of the first conversations I ever had about money in in radio is I was sitting in probably Trip Reeb's office at K-Rock, who was the general manager there, and he basically was saying, you're going to take over, do Loveline, and we're going to talk about how much to pay you. (laughs) In his first offer, he said, I'll make you the highest paid part-time employee at K-Rock, And part-time employees are van drivers and phone (laughs) operators. Guys, about seven dollars an hour. And I was working two hours a night doing a show that was going to be widely syndicated and stuff. And I just, I said to him, clear as a bell, I just said, "Trip, I'm, I would do it for free. I'm not. I'm. I want to talk. I want to. I want to. I want the experience and everything. But as long as you're making money off it, then I want to get paid. But, but make no. Uh, excuses i would definitely do it for free but if you're going to get rich i'd like to get some of that and that's that's sort of my approach uh the lore is you never hammered one of your checks you never cashed one of your tonight show checks or they all just went to the bank well i banked
1: them i mean i I, i cashed them they put them in the no i always wanted to live on the money i made as a comedian i always wanted to be hungry i never wanted to be one i never wanted to be a guy that's why this pandemic didn't bother me a whole lot i've never taken a vacation so when one is enforced on me okay i have no choice Uh, okay fine right and i never wanted to be a guy to go how much to go to cleveland i'm not going there for that kind of money i never wanted to be one of those performers because i lived on the street when i first came out i used to sleep on the stairs behind the comedy store what i used to do when i came to hollywood i would go to open houses on sunday from like noon to four I'd get to the open house at 3.30. I'd walk around and say, see you later. Thank you. And then I'd go up, st- sneak upstairs. I'd go into a bedroom. I'd shut the closet door, and I'd sit there for maybe an hour until I heard the guy lock up. Wow. And, and then I'd live in the house for a day or two. Really? And one day I was sleeping on a house on cold water, which was, belonged to one of the Beach Boys, apparently, was Cynthia, And I'm just sleeping in the bed, and I hear the realtor, now, here's the master bedroom. Oh, <laughs> my! The two kids said, Mommy, there's somebody in the bed. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> what are you doing here? Get out, get out. Well, let me, can I get dressed, please? I get out, I get out, and ran out the back door. Uh, that was the only time I got caught. But that's what I used to do. I used to just go to open houses. And I never, I never took anything, I never damaged the house. I always made the bed when I left, and I would just, because I had no place to live. You know? uh, meaning
0: you can have it all or have nothing. You're, you've, you've kind of done both, both of that. I and like having it all better than it, the it's, nothing. It's, it's it's better, but uh, everything is sort of gravy for you from from where you come from or or yeah. a younger version of yourself. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, you never thought. I mean, no one ever thinks. Yeah, you know, but you have how many square feet of warehouse do you have now? And
1: that's it's one hundred forty thousand.
0: One hundred forty thousand square feet. I mean, obviously, no, never anticipated.
1: No, never, I never thought about it. I never thought of. I remember. I was in New York and I had no place to live and I was – I used to sleep in the alley at 44th and 9th right across from Dykes Lumberyard. And I used to go to that alley every night at midnight or 1 and I would just go to sleep and it was a place where – and hookers would bring johns in there. I just hear the most horrible <laughs> – I this is my life really. This is awful. And my friend Louis had just bought a house for $38,000 in Massachusetts and I went to visit him and I went – Man, I will never have anything like this. This is unbelievable. And he had a house and a garage, and he was married. And I thought, oh man, this is well. I'm 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 just going to keep doing this and see what happens. And luckily, it it panned out. But yeah, no, I never, I <laughs> know, I never thought, I never thought anything would would, would come of it. One hundred and forty thousand
0: square feet. All right, I'm going to do a quick commercial. Oh, our last spot, JB Weld. You uh, DIY guy, do it yourself. You got some projects, guy or gal, let's be honest here. You want to save some money, avoid paying the repairman and voice, avoid seeing the repairman these these days. Who knows where this guy's boots have been? Might I suggest JB Weld, big or small repairs, home or garage, ordinary household glue? Well, it starts with the word ordinary. You don't want that. You need strong. You need a better choice. You need JB Weld. We're proud to have these guys on as sponsors. They're great. I know the owner. We hung out in the SEMA a few years ago, back when things were open. Pros and DIYers trusted JB Weld for over 50 years, and it's proudly made in the USA. I hope that means something these days, made in the USA. So you keep JB Weld in your toolbox, kitchen drawer, or the craft room. And it's good for metal. It's good for wood. It's good for plastic. It's good for uh, everything that... Broken into two. It is JB Weld, man. Available at jbweld.com, Home Depot, Lowe's, AutoZone, Advanced Auto Parts, O'Reilly, Walmart, Amazon, Michaels, and more. Oh, boy, Jay. God, it's been an hour and 15 minutes. I feel like I barely, barely scratched the surface of this. Um, I'm so thrilled that you have me on Jay Leno's Garage. I, oh, well, yeah. I, I well, love doing let's, this Let's show. do
1: some more. We'll have you on again. Be glad to.
0: Always, uh, you know, there, one thing that always I repeat this All the time that Jay said to me, and he probably probably doesn't even remember it, but I quote you all the time. I said to you, uh, oh, Jay, thanks for doing my show or the podcast or whatever it is or being in the doc or whatever it is. And you went, it doesn't have to be that hard. It can be easy. It doesn't have to be that difficult. And I always think of you because... In this town, you know, you call the guy and he wants to know why he didn't go through his publicist or whatever oh, that yeah. is. And it's like, it doesn't have to be no, that it hard. it isn't that can...
1: hard at all. You know, that's the one thing I found that people think. The other thing is people have this idea. It's this horrible cutthroat business. It's not. I mean, Steve Martin helped me tremendously. Harvey Corman, they came in to saw me. They told Carson about me. When I got fairly well-known, I told Carson about Ellen DeGeneres. You got to come in and see this girl. She's really funny. I mean, comics like to help other comics. I always tell comedians, you will always get more work from the other comedians that you're starting out with than you'll ever get from an agent at the beginning. And it's true. I don't find it. To be that way, and I don't find it that hard. Like to me on The Tonight Show, people would say, my guest will come, but he has to leave after. He can't stay on the couch. We've got places to go. Well, you really got to go? Yes, we have to go. All right. Okay. They come. Oh, goodbye. My guest has got to leave. Thank you. And then the show's over and they're still hanging around backstage. Right. And, and I go, what was that all about? Well, we think it looks better. What do you think it looks better? No. I mean, you're not on, you're not on TV. You would have been on TV if you had stayed. It, it doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I feel the exact same way. I was thinking about Jay in, in danger and I reached out to him a couple of days ago and I said, uh, you want to come on the show? And he said, yeah. And then so I called my guy, Mike, and I said, what's a good day? And he said, uh, Wednesday. And I said, hey, Jay, how about Wednesday? And Jay said, I got to work Wednesday, but how about Monday or Tuesday? And I said, yeah, OK. Yeah, and here we are. I, I agree, and I feel the same way with Jay Leno's Garage. So whatever, whatever capacity you want me, I'll tell you a great I'm Rodney there. story.
1: Oh, Dangerfield! Rod, yeah, Rodney and I were good friends. Sure. I love Rodney, and I have Rodney on the Tonight Show. You know, I always because I love doing that. Uh, Times are rough. <laughs> oh, the rough Jay. You know, and I love being his. I love being Rodney Straightman. It's my favorite thing. And one day he's on, and I'm watching him, and he's off. By I can tell he's off. I don't think the audience didn't send you his off, but. He was sweating and his, you know, he does it, <laughs> I tell you, you know, he grabbed his tie and he, he was grabbing his tie far lower than he usually Everything was mm-hmm. off. So he's doing his routine, you know, and I, I, I said to Debbie, our predict, producer, I said, I call the paramedics. I think Roddy's having a stroke, you know. And she goes, really? I said, yeah, just call him, just call him. Okay. So Roddy comes over, sits down, and he's fine. Then the show ends and Rodney's dressing. So he's doing stand up. Doing stand and up. he looks a little off. A when little off. He's doing then up. he sits down. Hey, Jay, how are you? And he's, you know, yeah. he always pats his forehead like he's sweating, right. but he was really sweating. And, anyways, okay, then he's on, then the singer, and okay. And then the show ends, Rodney's, then the paramedics show up and I go right this way. And I go, Rodney, the paramedics want to talk to you. Boy, well, what are you talking to talk to me about? I think you had a stroke. He goes, what are you saying? So they give him a, he did have a stroke. Okay. Wow. So they take him to the hospital, okay. So then we're sort of monitoring him after this point. Had him on one or two other times. And then he had a terrible stroke and he was in a coma. And I went to see him in the hospital. His wife, Joan, is the greatest. And she said, Jay, Rodney's in a coma. I think he can hear us, but he can't respond. So Hey, Rodney, how you doing? Nothing, you know. So she says, Jay, put your finger in Rodney's hand. So I put my finger in Rodney's hand. And she goes, Rodney, if you know it's Jay... Squeeze his finger, so I feel a slight squeeze, and I go, "Rodney, that's not my finger." You know? <laughs> <laughs> and Rodney does a, huh! and he and he did a jump. He just did a, he did a, a tweak, mm-hmm. you know. And I went, "We made him laugh." And Jones and Jones got a Oh my God! Rodney made him laugh, but but he moved, right. and then he died uh, fairly soon after that. But uh, it was just a great thing to make Rodney laugh one time. The
0: last. Person
1: to make you know, him well, I don't know if I'm the last person. I'm going
0: to go with yes. But unless what I mean, there's a really it, funny nurse was, on that floor. Was,
1: yeah, it was just, it was just. If you're going to be a comic, you know, and he was the greatest. You know, it was always about the jokes, no political opinion. No, it just he comes out there, boom, 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 and he was in his 80s and he was still pounding it out. So you know, you know what's
0: so interesting about that story is the rhythm is so intricate you know and 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 someone like you who'd been up on stage for so long and been exposed to so many comedians even when the audience couldn't tell you could tell from peripheral from the side almost that the rhythm like you weren't responding as a you weren't listening to the words to me it's like listening to music it's like listening
1: to lyrics remember the first time i saw seinfeld he had a rhythm to his Jokes. He he talked about going to the amusement park, and you come to the, the what do they call the Bumpum cars of the hopeless father and son team, you know. Right. And I, I just liked the way he phrased that. Letterman too. Letterman was a great, great, still is wordsmith, and he used to have this thing about local radio stations and self-importance, and I think the, I can't do it the way Dave does, but we are, he said, we are diametrically opposed to the use of org, of orphans as yardage markers on public golf courses. <laughs> we feel this is a tough, you know, and, but the use of orphans as yardage markers, I just like the way it, and that's when up I introduced myself, and I said, I, I, how do you phrase like that? Because I was a better performer than I was writer at the time, and Dave at was a, at
0: the comedy store, yeah, back and when. Dave
1: was a much better writer than he was performer, and, Dave could never understand how I could get up and just start talking. Right. And I didn't understand how he could have these intricately, intricately well-woven jokes. And and we just got to be friends that way. And we, I think we each took a little bit from one another, you know? Are you guys still friends? Do you converse? Oh, yeah. I no, don't really converse. I mean, <laughs> Dave is an interesting guy. Yeah, you're not a, a converser. No, no. But I think there's a mutual respect. And I – you know what it is? When you start out with people in this business – even if you have nothing else in common, there is a bond. Mm-hmm. Your, your brothers in comedy or whatever you want to call it, you have this bond. You know, it's, it's like, you know, Kimmel and I had a, a, a kind of butted heads while, well, but now I love the guy. I think he's great. And because you realize there's only seven people in the world that do what you do. And they're the only ones that really understand it, you know. And it's, it's, it 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 so you can't really dislike him, you know. Um Even though we don't have a lot in common, we had comedy in common, and making Dave laugh was always my favorite thing to do. It still is. When I used to do his show, it was my great, the greatest time in my life because Dave always liked laughing on the weight of the joke more than the joke. And mm. you know, I would say, Dave, was just out of the old Manson place, you know where, you know where. Charlie and the boy. Oh, the Manson plays know. Oh, yeah, yeah. We would we would you know we would get this sort of role going and and it was really funny. It was really great and I really enjoyed it. I would you know, I knew Dave always got nervous before he went on. So whenever I would do his show, I'd stand backstage with like a huge meatball sub, you know. And as soon as I come, I'd go, oh, Dave, try this. He goes, how, how can you eat that? You're going on there. F- how can you eat before you go on? Don't you just throw up? No, oh, Dave, try this. It's delicious, you know. And he would just, and then I would bring the meatball sandwich out and a meatball would roll out on his desk, and he would get all annoyed. I mean, it was it was just a lot of fun.
0: I I remember watching those early appearances with you on uh, Letterman's sh- I mean, on Letterman show, and uh, it was just so good. It was so organic. It was so it was so funny, and it was uh, I guess innocent or in a way that just you just. It's interesting when you travel through your career, and you know I can picture Jimmy going out to acapoco in Mexican food place because I had a two for-one coupon you know and uh he's such a foodie now but back then the Acapulco restaurant right. in Burbank was good eating and I my, my two for-one coupon funny. and the conversations about like we can order one but the second one's not going to be free if it's more than the first one oh, so right. you got to get the expensive one for like these moments yeah, these yeah. thoughts it almost seems like a Different life yeah, in a weird, yeah. weird way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Jay, uh, I th- I say we do this again because uh, Tell I me feel like anytime there's you want. a lot more here to get to. And uh, Jay Leno's Garage, Wednesdays, 10 o'clock Eastern, CNBC. Fact, yeah, yeah, it'll
1: be on uh, tonight. It's on, right? This is yeah. Wednesday? So. Yes,
0: this is Wednesday. I think i
1: got Matt LeBlanc tonight. And Craig Ferguson, another great comic.
0: Yeah, and a good guy. Very good guy. Your mom would like him. Yeah. I think, is he Scottish or Irish? He's Scottish. Oh,
1: Scottish lad, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, it's funny. I kept thinking when your mom and the Scots were talking about being thrifty, there was a whole brand out here in, uh, I think it was Ralph's, no, yeah, maybe it was Ralph's, or maybe there was a whole brand called uh, Scotch, Scotch Brand. Scotch brand was the cheap, generic version Hmm. of the cleanser or the soap or the whatever, but it was... Thrifty, yeah. yeah. The guy goes, and I'm thrifty too. And I was like, Oh, Scott, I was you know watch these commercial when I was ten. I'm from North Holland. Like, I yeah. don't know what this means. Yeah, but right. Somehow, right, yeah. yeah, hilarious, hilarious for this. All right, we'll get into the paddy wagon uh, next episode, Jay Leno's Garage Wednesdays. Uh, just and you can also watch the YouTube show, show the uh, YouTube channel Jay Leno's Garage as well. Shoot him a tweet at Jay Leno. Good Sports is coming up until, oh, I'm going to be in uh, Zaney's, Nashville, Tennessee, right? Coming up uh, two shows. Oh, uh, you
1: are? Wow. So you're back uh, tomorrow and
0: Saturday. Are yeah. doing
1: live shows again there?
0: They're doing live shows in a lot of parts of the country, and they're doing it at about three-quarter capacity. Right. But uh, I get to go out and get paid to do stand-up, so uh, oh, I'll great. be doing that.
1: But that's normal, right? Three-quarter capacity. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, Adam Crow for Jay Leno saying, mahalo. Well, let me hit GEICO in 30 seconds here. Right now, GEICO's offering an extra 15% credit on car, motorcycle, and RV policies. That's 15% on top of the money GEICO could already be saving you if you're going with GEICO. So I don't know what you're waiting for, people. You want to save money on your auto insurance and motorcycle, RVs as well. There's uh, money to be saved with GEICO, and you get the 15% off when you switch by October 7th. Visit geico.com to learn more.
1: Imagine a world
2: where animals and humans coexist in harmony, where wild animals thrive, habitats are protected, and marginalized communities are empowered. At International Animal Rescue, this is our vision. Our holistic, community-led projects not only rescue animals, but also protect and replenish precious habitats, creating a better future for us all. But we can't do this without you. Show your support now.